Friends, we start our new series this week on uh, Luke, the Gospel to the Gentiles. And I entitled it this um, because I wanted us to ask ourselves this question first. When we read the Gospels, who are we? Who do we identify with? Do we identify with the Jewish people whom Jesus is speaking to? Or do we identify with the Gentiles who so often in the gospel narrative are being spoken down to, pushed aside, or spoken badly against? So I wanted to have an opportunity to clarify kind of some of these different ways in which Christ deals with going from that old tradition into this new space. For them, that meant from the Jewish church and the Jewish community into the Gentile community. But for us, for us friends, there is also a challenge, isn't there? Because we want this church to be here for another 150 years, don't we? And so if we want to do that, then that means that we need to be relevant for people today. To be reaching into this community. And it doesn't mean that we uh, let go of everything that we were and say, right, that's it, we're going to start brand new. No, that would be silly. But it does mean that we need to look at what we do. We need to ask ourselves why we do it. And make sure we go back to that heart. To that heart of Christ. Because I've got to tell you something. This may be news to you. Ready? The church is a 2,000-year-old institution. So they've been through this before. We've been through this before. And we've had to modernize and change and adapt. In fact, can I ask you a question? Are you comfortable today? Are you nice seated, padded cushions? Yes? That is a modern innovation that the church adopted a number of years ago as a way of saying, well, you know what? We don't want people to walk away from church like this with their backs hurt. We want them to enjoy and to be here and to connect with this. And so there are little things that we've been doing over centuries to keep the message of Jesus Christ alive. And this is something we still need to do. The last time I was here before you, my friends, I preached about the writing is on the wall. And I said to you, the writing is on the wall for the church. And it is. In the Western world, the church of Jesus Christ is diminishing every day by a catastrophic number. But I don't want you to lose heart. No. Because I believe when the church is big and full and, and overflowing with life and everything that's going on, sometimes there are people who are there who may not really be connecting with the reality of what God is doing. You see, what happens when the church diminishes like this is that the faithful remain. The ones who really connect with that reality of Christ and want to have that to be part of their life every day. That doesn't mean that we don't try to get to that place where we have a big, full of life, rich, um, living, richly church. No. But what we do is when we get to that place, we look and we analyze and we say, are we still preaching that heart? And we say, are we still in that place? Because I tell you the truth. I've preached a message to a crowd of 500. And I'll preach the same message to a crowd of 10. And I will say that word. I'll say a crowd. Do you know why? Because we don't know what is the crowd, cloud of witnesses that stand behind those 10. 
and the impact that they have. So friends, that's why we're talking about this at this time. Because it is so important for us to understand that God has given us an opportunity here to create a space where we can be relevant, where we can connect. Because I don't need to tell you, there's a lot of people out there who need Jesus, right? And we need to be at the forefront of that. So I invite you to bow your heads with me as we open up this new season of our learning in Jesus' name. Father, help us hear your voice. Help us understand your teaching. Help us learn from you. Help us grow as your disciples. I ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. I asked you the question before. In the Gospels, who do you identify with? I'm now going to answer it for you. You need to identify with the disciples. Not with the Jewish authorities, not with the Jewish crowds who were there gathering around them, and not with the Gentiles who were on the outskirts and on the out. You need to identify with the disciples. Because the disciples were the ones who were at the feet of Christ. They were the ones who were listening to him, and they were the ones whom he was teaching. They were also the ones who were carrying the previous tradition and courageously and boldly going forward into the next step. Some of you have said to me, Esteban, what what is the vision for this church? Is it simply that we're just going to try and get, you know, a bunch of people into the church and see what happens? No. The vision for this year has been to work on our discipleship. That's what we've been talking about. That's what we've been opening up the word about so often. For next year, the vision is courage. Courage for what? Courage to grow. Courage to share our faith. Courage to share our facilities. Courage to speak the truth of Jesus Christ, even when it's uncomfortable. And why do we need courage? Because that is what the disciples needed. You see, their discipleship did not end when Christ left, did it? When Christ was immediately arrested, what did they do? They ran away. They were afraid. But then they sat in the upper room and waited for the Holy Spirit to come down upon them. And when he did, they were filled with what? Courage. Courage to go out and share the gospel. Courage to be persecuted. Courage to gather and meet illegally, might I add. Courage. To continue being disciples, although Christ was no longer with them in flesh, but with them in spirit. That is the same courage we need to have. So we open up the word and we hear from Jesus Christ in the Gospel of Luke. Let me see. Before we do that, we need to understand what is this Sabbath that they were talking about? So in Exodus 20, he says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But on the Sabbath, seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it you shall not do any work. Neither you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male, nor your female servant, nor your animals, nor any other foreigner residing in your towns. Everyone, everyone under the law would not work on the Sabbath. When's the Sabbath? Saturday. 
Very good. Did anybody work on Saturday? I did. <laughs> Very naughty. But listen, it's not about the actual day that this is talking about. See, that is how those Jewish people who were around them read it. But the disciples didn't. They understood that Christ had a greater mission. And just like today, Christ has a greater mission. One that goes beyond tradition. One that goes beyond philosophy. One that goes beyond what we feel comfortable in doing so that we step out and do the things that we are challenged to do by Him. So the Sabbath becomes a day instead where people can do that which God has put forward. That's why we meet on the Lord's Day, on the Sunday, and we have made this a Sabbath. We have made this a Sabbath, not because we are breaking the law, but because we are saying this is a moment where we remember that on the third day, Christ was resurrected. And we want to honor that for time immemorial. Does that mean church has to be on a Sunday? No way. No way. But it is good when it is. Because we can remember that it was on the third day that Christ was resurrected. Exodus 20, 11, For six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. But He rested on the seventh day. And therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. That is the attribute that is most important when it comes to the Sabbath. And this is where we begin in our discipleship journey. Because Jesus identified Himself as the Lord of the Sabbath. The one who could make that day what? Say it with me, people. The one who could make that day holy. This, this is what we need to realize. This is what we need to work on. This is what we need to maintain. Because tradition has established certain parameters, certain drives. But we need to understand that as disciples of Christ, we follow the one who makes all these things holy. This is why we pray in the name of Jesus. Because he has the power to make these things holy. But then we have these two words. Words that mm, maybe we don't fully understand. And what does it mean? What does it mean when he says... Remember the Sabbath. What does he mean when he says, and make it holy? Remember, in Hebrew, is zakar. Can you say that with me? Zakar. Zakar. My Hebrew teacher gave me this monomic device that I'll never forget. Because he would say, you want to remember this word? Remember the keys to? Zakar. See, you'll never forget now, will you? Because if you don't have the keys to Zakar, it's not going to go anywhere. <laughs> so, but as funny as that analogy is, it actually gets down to the heart of the word Zakar and what it means. Because it's not just remember, as in I forgot something. It's remember with a purpose. It's remember with meaning. It's remembered with drive. The car does what? Drives. It remembers. This is what it means. And God remembered Noah and every living thing. Genesis 8.1. Had God forgotten about Noah and every living thing? No. 
But what it means, what it means here is that in that moment, God's mind was on those people. And for that reason, he sought a way for their salvation. Do you see the drive? Salvation. Do you see the act? Remember. So when the, the commandment says, remember the Sabbath day, it's not saying, look at your calendar, because maybe you forget like that appointment to the dentist. No, it's saying that that day has to have intentionality, has to have purpose, has to have drive. Remember. What else do we have? I must remember to replace the batteries on my controller. Um, <laughs> Genesis 30, 22, And God remembered Rachel. And God hearkened to her and opened her womb. What did God remember? God remembered that He had made a promise to Abraham. That Abraham, an old man, would be the father of many nations. That's what God remembered. And in that moment, as part of his remembering, he remembered Sarah. No, sorry, Rachel. He remembered Rachel. And he remembered that through that line of Abraham, he would bring all of these children. That is what God remembered. God remembered his promise. And there was a drive. That drive was salvation. There was a drive and that drive was establishing his covenant. There was a drive and that was in keeping his promises. This is what God had to do. What about holy? The commandment says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Holy, those funny characters there is lo kadoshu. Lo kadoshu. Doesn't that sound cool? I like it. You want to say it with me? Lo Kadoshu, as cool, as cool. The verb itself is Kadesh, Kadesh, to make holy. But he doesn't say here Kadesh, he says Lo Kadeshu. He puts it into this grammatical form that puts the emphasis on you. My Hebrew lecturer used to say to me all the time if you find a oo on the end of a word, of a verb, it is you. <laughs> so that's what you have to remember. So look at the shoe. Yes, you might have heard of the expression um, Shabbat Amianu. Shabbat Amianu. That means our rest or our Sabbath. That's where the U comes in from. And it means belonging to us. So that is speaking to who? Very good. Kadesh. Here in Exodus 13, it is consecrate. God had taken every firstborn male of Egypt as a punishment for Pharaoh's stubbornness, hard-heartedness. But he didn't just take those. He also took the firstborn of Israel, but in a very different way. He asked that they would be consecrated, made Holy. Only God can make things holy, friends. Only God. So he claimed them. He claimed that day of the Sabbath. And he claimed those children of Israel. 
And his spirit at work through us says, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Make it holy. Make it a time where you actually cast your minds away from the things that are temporary to the things that are eternal. That is what he's saying. Make it holy. You see, friends, if we are disciples of Jesus Christ, the one who has made these things holy in the first place, then we need to remember that we are to work through that which he has made holy. What about in Exodus 30, verse 30? Anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them so that they may serve as priests. Moses, a sinful man, a murderer, is told by God, you have the power in my name to make something holy. We're not murderers here, at least not that I'm aware of. Sometimes I kill at table tennis, but, you know. (laughs) If this murderer, if Moses could be told to make something holy like this, how much more those of us who live in Jesus Christ. Why? Because Christ gave his life an atonement offering, an offering so that we would be at one with our Lord. That's what atonement is means at one with the one that is holy. And the word priest here, kohen, it means one who stands in the gap. Moses was meant to put aside those holy ones to stand in the gap between the sinful and the holy one. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that an amazing demonstration of grace, of God's grace? Didn't Moses himself say, Lord, why have you chosen me? I am a... What's that word in English? A stutterer. I am a stutterer. In Portuguese, we say tartamudo. That means the one who goes to speak, but he's always struggling. I love that image. I love that idea. That this is Moses who was unworthy, so unworthy he could not even speak. And yet here God says to him, you will consecrate a family and that family will stand in the gap between me, the Holy One, and the sinful children of Israel. And I bet Moses was going again, why me? What makes me worthy? Well, Moses, it's God who made you worthy. And if you're asking yourself the same question today, I say the same thing to you. It's God. It's God at work in your life. It's God who gives you that courage. It is God who makes you worthy. But it's holy. Holy doesn't, Kadesh doesn't just mean approachable within holiness. Instead, it also it also has this sense of being put apart, set apart. Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I made you holy. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. We live in a world, the Apostle Paul tells us, that groans under the weight of sin. In that groaning, in that sinfulness, 
we have been set apart. Jesus even said, the father of this world is Satan. But those that know me, those that know Jesus, know the father. They know God. They know the Holy One. Friends, do you know Jesus? Are you followers of Jesus? Because if so, then you are in the presence of the Holy One. Do not be ashamed. Be courageous in this knowledge, in this understanding. Because the father of this world would tell us all sorts of lies. Just like he told Moses. When he told him he was not worthy, he might say, you're not worthy. Just like he told Paul when he said that Paul was a sinner. He might say, you are a sinner. Just like he tempted Jesus for 40 days. He might tempt you. But you can say, yes, I am unworthy, but it is God who makes me worthy. Yes, I am a sinner, but it is Jesus who has redeemed me. And yes, you may tempt me, but I will not deviate from what my God is doing in my life. I have been set apart. That's what I want you to say. That's what I want you to know. Because you are each precious in the eyes of our Lord. And He loves you. And He wants great and awesome things for you. And this is why He has called you to be disciples, even now. So in Luke, Jesus says to them, The Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. And later on another Sabbath day, he says, which is lawful? Which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to destroy it? There was a tradition that was binding Israel with religiosity, with judgmentalism, with fear. Fear that they would not survive and that they needed to just consolidate and hold on as tight as they possibly could. Does that sound familiar, church? Because I'll tell you what, I traveled the churches across this country for the last 15 years. And I've seen it time and time again. And I ask myself, Lord, where is the courage? Where are the courageous disciples who are ready to go, who are ready to love, love the unlovely, love despite being unlovely? And see God at work through the unworthiness that we are. So that others can say, you know what, maybe. Maybe I'm unworthy too. And I need that which I see in you. That, my friends, is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ in this age. Thank you, Kimmy. In the letter of Hebrews, we hear so many wonderful passages. We do not know who it was that wrote the letter of Hebrews. We believe it was someone from the Pauline school, if not Paul himself. Luke was Paul's disciple. He traveled with him in mission. Maybe Luke wrote Hebrews. I don't know. It's possible. Church fathers claimed that they had a copy of it in Hebrew. Written with all of the Hebrew dialectal features. And that it was then translated into Greek. And so when I sat with my Greek and I'm looking at it, 
it, it sounded a little bit like when I speak to you in English. It was at times cumbersome and awkward. <laughs> but the heart and the message was there. And it was good. And here the author of Hebrews tells us there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. You see, the author here is saying that there's no work that we could do to make us worthy. But in Christ, there is a Sabbath. What were the two words? Remember and holy, make holy. There is a Sabbath rest for those of us who are unworthy from our unworthiness. Because there is no work that we could do that can surpass the cross. That cross that we must remember every day. That cross that makes holy. That cross that grants us access to the Holy One. He goes on to say, or she goes on to say, we don't know, maybe. For the Word of God is alive and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit. Joints and marrow. And it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. What it's saying here is that God knows you. Even if we feel unworthy. Even if we feel unlovely. He knows us. We are His children. And we are His disciples. And Jesus at time chastised his disciples, didn't he? But he did it because he loved them. Because he knew what they needed. So friends, my prayer for this season, and you're not going to be hearing just from me. We have some wonderful preachers lined up. who are going to speak to you as well. My prayer and hope is that you feel that presence of God calling us to be deeper and deeper in that discipleship of him. In that following him. And that obeying Him. So number one, remember. Remember with drive. Remember with action. Remember Him. Don't let the day go by without casting your thoughts on that God and what that God might be doing in your life. And number two, take that time. Make it holy. Make it something that you can do with Him. And you'll be fulfilling that Sabbath. For the Lord of the Sabbath commands you. Amen. I invite you to bow your heads with me and pray. Father, I thank you for this time. This time in which we have remembered you and made this a holy moment. A moment in which in our unworthiness, in our unloveliness, your holiness and your worthiness and your loveliness has been magnified for us. That we can look at each other and see each other. Not just as friends, neighbors, spouses, loved ones, children. But Father God, as your, your blessed loved ones. Remembered by you. And made holy in your sight. As we are about to gather around the blessing of Holy Communion. Let us enact this in our lives, I pray. Bless this to us this day in Jesus' name. And the children of God said,